Hands of My Podcast is a proud member of Darkcast Network, presenting the brightest of indie podcasts. Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo. And this is MW. Bringing awareness of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls, two spirits, the LGBTQ community, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Black Indigenous people of color. These are their stories. So, welcome to Hands Off, my podcast. Hey y'all, do you think that I was going to miss out on Black History Month? Today is your day. Black History Month is, of course, an annual observation originating in the United States. However, in 1926, there was a precursor of Black History Month called Negro History Week, when a historian, Carter G. Woodson, and the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History announced that the second week of February would be considered Negro History Week. Yet later in the 1970s, Black educators and Black United students at Kent State University were the first to propose that the Black History Month in February, and its first celebration actually was from January 2nd to February 28th of 1970. But of course, six years later, that had changed by President Gerald Ford when he recognized the Black History Month in 1976 during a United States bicentennial. This month was to give recognition and focus attention on Black contributions to civilization we should be proud of our heritage, and all Americans should always remember, like Morgan Freeman, actor and director, quoted, I don't want a Black History Month. Black history is American history. Decades after the Civil War and through the racial violence that erupted across the country in years following World War I, there was a concerted effort to repress the teaching of Black history, specifically in the South, they tried to suppress Black history or African-American history in public schools. For example, the Reconstruction and slavery. This is where the definition of critical race theory comes into play. So this month, for Black History Month, we should all appreciate the struggles and successes of the Black community by the great Toni Morrison, who repeatedly told us to love ourselves, our body, and our hearts in the face of those who see us through their distorted vision. This month, we should be choosing joy because Black joy is Black resistance. And I hope you join me as well. When it comes to Black activism, there are many historical figures whose accomplishments were glossed over. Their names were almost erased from history and the controversy of critical race theory lies in the balance. Before Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., this man, along with his spouse, were America's first civil rights martyr. This is the story of Harry T. and Harriet Moore. Harry Tyson Moore was born on November 18, 1905, in the small farming community of Houston, Florida. He was the only child of Johnny and Rosa Moore, Johnny, who tended to water tanks and ran a small store, died of health issues in 1914, when Harry was only nine years old. Rosa tried to make ends meet as a single mother by working various jobs, but eventually sent Harry to live with relatives. In 1916, Harry went to live with his three aunts, who were 
two educators, and one nurse. In Jacksonville, Florida, Harry thrived there in this predominantly Black community, and his aunts encouraged his love of learning. He then returned to Sewanee County, Florida in 1919 and attended a high school program at Florida Memorial College. He excelled in school and was even nicknamed Doc by classmates for his intelligence and grades. He graduated in 1925 and thereafter accepted a teaching job in Cocoa, Florida. Harriet Vida Sims Moore was born on June 19, 1902 to parents David and Annie in West Palm Beach, Florida. She had two sisters and three brothers. Her family eventually moved to Mims, Florida. Harriet attended high school at the Daytona Normal Industrial Institute in Daytona Beach, Florida, and thereafter enrolled in Bethune-Cookman College. She graduated with a Bachelor of Arts and degree in 1924, then began working as an elementary teacher in various schools across Florida. Harry and Harriet met while he was working as a teacher, and she was selling life insurance. They married in 1926, and together they had two daughters, Annie, who was called Peaches, and Juanita Evelyn. The Morris activism really took off in 1934 when they founded a chapter of the NAACP, which is National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, in Brevard County, Florida. Harry, as a former school teacher, he was a quiet and earnest, persevering man who was not a spellbinding orator, but he wore out automobile tires and shoe leather traveling the state on behalf of the NAACP. Moore was tireless in pursuit of equal justice for blacks. They advocated for equal pay for black teachers fought against barriers preventing black citizens from voting, and investigated lynchings. As a result of their activism, Harry and Harriet were fired from their teaching jobs. Harry became a paid NAACP organizer and was eventually appointed executive secretary for the Florida chapter of the NAACP. During his time as secretary, Statewide membership grew to a peak of 10,000 members in 63 branches. While the Moors contributed in many causes, they were especially passionate about black voting rights. After the 1944 Supreme Court verdict that declared all white primary elections unconstitutional, which was Smith versus Allwright, the Moors organized the Progressive Voters League of Florida. They helped register 31% of eligible black voters in Florida, which was over 116,000 people. Their work proved instrumental. By the time of the Moore's death, Florida had the highest number of registered black voters. The Moore's also fought for equal salaries for black teachers in public schools. In 1937, Harry and NAACP attorney Thurgood Marshall filed the first lawsuit in the South calling for equal pay. Although it failed in state court, it helped pave the way for numerous other federal lawsuits, which eventually led to equal salaries for black teachers in Florida. Even during this time, the Moors gained enemies through their activism as well. In particular, Harry's passionate involvement in overturning the wrongful convictions in the 1949 Groveland case, in which three young black men and one black boy were accused of raping Norma Padgett, a white woman. 
On July 16, 1949, two of the black men, Samuel Shepard and Walter Irvin, and the one boy, 16-year-old Charles Greenlee, were arrested and brought to Lake County Jail. They were tortured by police while imprisoned. Soon after, an angry mob of white residents in the area stormed the police facility, demanding that the authorities hand over Mr. Shepard, Mr. Irvin, and Mr. Greenlee. When a mob was unable to secure their targets, they continued on to the Groveland's predominantly black neighborhoods and murdered black residents while also burning their homes. Hundreds fled in terror. A third man that was accused of raping Norma in Lake County was tracked down by over a thousand racist white men sanctioned by the sheriff. His name was Ernest Thomas. He was shot over 400 times in Madison County, Florida. Just a few days after the murder, a coroner's jury ruled Thomas's death as, quote-unquote, justifiable homicide. Mr. Irving, Mr. Shepard, and Mr. Greenlee were beaten into giving false confessions, and they were convicted by all-white jury. The two adults were sentenced to death, while the young boy was given life in prison. Harry managed to lead a successful campaign to overturn the men's convictions. In 1951, the Supreme Court granted the appeal and ordered a new trial for the case. However, the hopefulness was short-lived. When the notorious Sheriff Willis McCall of Link County drove two of the defendants, Mr. Shepard and Mr. Irvin, to a pre-trial hearing, he shot them. Killing Mr. Shepard and critically injuring Mr. Irvin, who was denied an ambulance because he was black. Mr. Irvin survived and would later be sentenced to death once again, though his conviction was later commuted to life imprisonment. While the Groveland case dragged on, Moore found himself unexpectedly betrayed by his own organization, the NAACP. They wanted to raise dues, and Moore warned blacks could not afford higher dues and would simply abandon the organization. Unfortunately, NAACP went ahead anyway, and Moore was proved right. His reward was to be stripped of his position as state secretary and taken off the official mailing list of the organization, even though he had the same reaction by his friends as well as enemies alike. Moore kept on working quietly, organizing and traveling, writing letters, protesting, during this era, a landscape where trees are hung with strange fruit of lynchings, where the Ku Klux Klan holds festive daylight rallies and barbecues in Orange County. On Christmas Day in 1951, Harry and Harriet were actually celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary. The couple retired to their bedroom. A bomb made of dynamite was placed directly underneath Harry and Harriet's bedroom. The Moores family knew they would not be able to secure an ambulance or a local hospital that would tend to them, which may have saved their lives. Instead, their relatives took the couple to the hospital. The trip was 30 miles and Harry was pronounced dead when he reached the hospital. Harriet died nine days later in the hospital. 
Harry and Harriet's older daughter, Annie, was in the house when the explosion occurred, but was unharmed. Juanita Evelyn was actually on her way home at the time of the explosion. The Moore's death made national headlines, and former First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt made a public statement at the time, quote, It makes one sad to read the story of the bomb killing of Harry T. Moore, the state coordinator for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. That is the kind of violent incident that will be spread all over every country in the world, and the harm it will do us among the people of the world is untold. End quote. In 1952, the NAACP arranged a fundraiser for the family in New York City. Langston Hughes wrote the Ballad of Harry T. Moore for the event, a poem that has since been used as a testament in Black perseverance. Despite the, an exhaustive FBI investigation that lasted months, no one was ever arrested for the murders. Even the historically problematic FBI Chief J. Edgar Hoover claimed the Bureau would get to the bottom of the murders. There was five investigations on the murder of Harry T. Moore and Harriet Moore. Some of the suspects were all of whom were high-ranking Ku Klux Klan members in Florida. And one of those men who is a strong, probable suspect in arranging Moore's murder was Joseph Neville Cox, the secretary of the Orlando chapter of the Ku Klux Klan, purchased dynamite that was then placed beneath Moore's bedroom. Cox committed suicide the day after being closely questioned by the FBI. An associate revealed Cox's role in the murder years later on his deathbed. By the fifth and final investigation of the case, this was conducted by the FBI's Cold Case Division, with the investigation beginning in 2008 and officially closing in 2011. The purpose of this investigation motivated by Emmett Till's Unsolved Civil Rights Crime Act of 2007 was to investigate violation of criminal civil rights statutes that occurred prior to 1970 and resulted in death. After reviewing the previous investigation, the FBI ended up with a total of 10 potential witnesses However, eight of those witnesses were deceased and two were unable to be located. With no new leads, the investigation once again concluded that Brooklyn, Bevlin, Cox, and Spivey, the last names of the high-ranking Ku Klux Klan members in Florida, were most likely responsible for the bombing. Since all the suspects had died by this point, the case was closed. And so because of these four suspects in the case deceased, there will never truly be justice for the Moors. The Moors murders and the subsequent lack of conviction sparked a national outcry at the time of their deaths and resulted in dozens of protests. Juanita Evelyn Moore before her death in 2015, spoke about her parents and the contributions to the movement and fought to keep their legacy alive. Quote, This is a man who devoted his entire life, I mean his whole life. Even our family life hinged around his activities within NAACP and the Progressive Voters League. They all talked about Dr. King. That's great. But Daddy did the same thing. 
In fact, he started it, the movement. In fact, he had no lieutenants or bodyguards, or no one to fly him to this place or the other. He had absolutely nobody but us, and yet he accomplished all of those things. The voting, the teacher salaries, all of the lynchings that he investigated. That's very important, a very important part of history, end quote. On April 29, 2019, which was a Monday, the Equal Justice Initiative dedicated a new monument at the Peace and Justice Memorial Center in Montgomery, Alabama. The monument will commemorate 24 people slain in racially motivated killings during the 1950s, including Emmett Till and a voting rights activist, Harry and Harriet Moore. The National Memorial for Peace and Justice opened in 2018 in Montgomery to remember and share stories about some of the 4,400 African-Americans slain in lynchings and other racial killings between 1877 and 1950. The names of those killed, if they are known, are engraved in 880 steel columns with the locations where lynchings happened. The memory of Moore's remarkable life and violent death gradually faded over the near half-century since his murder, in a state filled with newcomers, few know who Moore was, what he achieved, how he died. If you want to know more information about Harry Tyson Moore and Harriet Moore's life, there is a book by Tallahassee scholar Ben Green, which is called Before His Time, The Untold Story of Harry T. Moore, America's First Civil Rights Martyr. And on January 12, 2001, there was a PBS documentary on Moore's life, narrated by Ossie Davis and Ruby D. I will have the links in the show notes. We are voiceless no more. Thank you for listening to Hands Off My Podcast. If you are enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support the mission, I do have a Patreon membership that will help the cause and bring more detail on cases and stories from the people of color community. If you yourself has a lost loved one or a story suggestion, please don't hesitate to contact me at email. Hands off my podcast at gmail.com. And if you are only able to support in another way, please give this podcast a five star rating on Apple or Spotify and continue to listen to upcoming episodes every Thursday, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Dios te bendiga.